Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with the people behind the top galas and signature fundraisers and showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and we are here today and we are going to talk with Dr. Kelly Zuniga, who is the CEO of the Holocaust Museum of Houston. Kelly, welcome, and we are so glad to have you here today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Holocaust Museum. So um, it, it's a wonderful, and anyone who ever goes to Houston or is in Houston, definitely make sure to go visit it. But please tell us a little bit about the mission of the Holocaust Museum of Houston. Well, the most interesting aspect about our museum is that our museum was founded by the survivors and uh, it was formed in 1996. And its whole impetus was about remembrance, obviously teaching individuals about the history of, and the lessons of the Holocaust. But also as time went on, they adopted education associated with genocides, as well as focusing on the importance of human rights. And so that evolution from 1996 um, it was so popular that from a capacity standpoint, we were really quite limited. And I came to the museum in 2013 and we just couldn't fit any more students. And it was so important to the survivors, especially right. and we would have as many children, school children come here and they come for free to attend. And so we decided to expand. So we went from 21,000 square feet to 57,000 square feet. We built a whole new facility, reopened it in 2019. And so now we have a permanent gallery focusing on human rights. We have a permanent gallery showing the history of diaries and their impact on the Holocaust. And we redid our entire Holocaust gallery. So just to have had kind of like an evolution over time led by the survivors. And uh, at the beginning, we had over a thousand survivors involved with our museum. Today, I have less than 50 survivors. So their voices are so, so very important. And the most interesting thing about our museum also is the fact that not only can you see a survivor still to this day, but you can hear those you know, groups of survivors that were responsible for our success because they were so smart and they had them take their oral testimonies way back in the 80s and the early 90s. And so we digitized all of those testimonies and we incorporated them within the museum. So you're actually hearing the stories of the Holocaust from the survivors as you go through the exhibitions, which makes our, our museum very, very unique. Well, that makes it really impactful. And, you know, tell me a little bit, like when someone is walking through the museum and they hear these, you know, the audio, the audio things, because, you know, people experience audio in different ways in museums. Sometimes it's you'll walk, walk with like walk with headphones through it. And other times it's walking into rooms and you kind of you sit and you hear and you hear people listen. Tell us a little bit about how the voices are shared kind of when, when a person goes and experiences the museum. Well, you have an option of taking an audio tour, but what we like to do is have a docent-led experience that really enhances the overall experience. But as you walk through the various timeline of the Holocaust, those digitized testimonies are mirrored to that subject matter. 
so when you're talking about uh, the collection of the Jews and the transportation on the rail cars, we have testimony from people that were actually loaded onto rail cars and transferred to Auschwitz. When they were in Auschwitz, we have testimony from those that actually were held and uh, you know contained within Auschwitz themselves. So it's really um, impactful because you're hearing the emotion and you're hearing a personal story. And the thing about the Holocaust that people don't really realize is that there are thousands and thousands of stories and they're all unique. They're all important. And so it's so impactful, you know, when you learn from each of these survivors when you go through. Well, and that's interesting. And, you know, the perspectives obviously are different. And if the recording, you know, like like you had mentioned, the recordings were done, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s that you digitize, that you have, you know, people that were children, mm-hmm. you know, and their experience as well as adults and probably even people that, you know, were middle age and maybe even slightly older, you know, at, at that recording time. So it really it sounds like it really allows people to really kind of get a full breadth of the understanding of just all just the traumatic things that that people, regardless of the age, went through and just the perspectives that they would bring from their experiences with that. Yes, very, very much so. And it's and it's very helpful. That's I'm so glad you brought that up. The perspective is that many people um, in our older museum, it was quite dark, it was very serious, whereas the philosophy now in Holocaust education is what we embody is hope. So that, yes, we're here to educate you about that horrible past, but also from the standpoint that when you leave our museum, you are empowered to make a difference, that that we are hopeful that people have learned and that they can make a change and a difference. They can become an upstander, as we refer to it in our society. So it's uh, very uplifting. You might notice in back of me, this beautiful uh, butterfly loft. I do. Which, I love that. It's gorgeous. It's just very light and airy and, and beautiful in itself, but it's a symbol. The butterfly is a symbol of rebirth, obviously. And so the Holocaust education, um, you know, entity of all these people that work in Holocaust education use the butterfly quite frequently as a symbol of hope and going forward, but also to remember the children's lives that perish one point. Five million children perished in the Holocaust. Wow. I mean, that's that really is a th- that's just a really difficult number to hear that it that just the the sheer scale of the amount of just children that just, you know, did not make it through yeah. a really tough time. And I what I what I really appreciate is how the organization and how it's how I guess the treatment of the Holocaust and how it's conveyed has evolved into more of a hope and just, you know, not necessarily, you know, and making sure that we learn from our experiences and make sure that things like that just never happen again and make sure that we're exactly. putting putting the hope out there for others. Because as Ellie Wazell always said is that once you've learned about the Holocaust, you are a witness to the Holocaust. And so you bear witness. So it's your responsibility to always stand up and to not enable it to occur again. And so that's that's part of the mission. In the human rights area, it's more understanding, well, what was the outgrowth of the human rights? Where, where did it come from? It really originated as a result of the Holocaust. So the entire human rights movement 
is an outgrowth of those horrific lessons that were learned after the war. And so there's a whole history associated with activism and upstanders that have made a big difference, MLK, uh, Malala, and just different individuals that have just changed our world. But it again, people can relate to that in current day and how do those lessons work together so that we can learn to respect others and to accept others. So very, very important points. That is a that is amazing. Now you have said the word a couple of times, upstanders. Can you just for our audience members who may not know what that term is, can you elaborate on what that means? Well, really it's an upstander is someone that when you're in the minority, you have a voice and you take advantage of that and you support others that are being, you know, from the standpoint of prejudice or a, a victim of hatred, anything that you felt that they are not being supported from their basic human rights and uh, that you should be someone that stands up and be an upstander and tell them, like a simple example would be in bullying. If you're witnessing somebody being bullied, do you are you a bystander or are you an upstander? Do you go forth? Do you use your voice to you know explain that this is not to be tolerated? This is just like a hate crime. If you witness a hate crime, do something about it. Be an upstander. Talk about it to your local police. Report it. Eliminate it. Take the this insignia off of the wall. That is so, so very important to, to take action. And that's really, that's probably capitalizes it the best is that to take action is, is the main verb associated with being an upstander. That, that's a great way to explain it. And, um, you know, I'm actually, that really inspired me and I'm going to make sure, you know, going forward when I do see things like that, I, I love that term. And, you know, I'm definitely going to make sure to utilize that more going forward. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now our young, our young visitors really, really relate to that term. They I, I can totally see that. And I, I think it's great that, you know, children can come into the museum and learn, learn that term, learn that word and convey it and use it, you know, throughout their lives. I think that's yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you speak with such conviction about the organization. What makes you so passionate about the Holocaust Museum of Houston? Well, I think I'm very, very fortunate. This kind of goes uh, connected to what we were speaking about earlier about the importance of events and the passion that people have for the mission. So I'm very, very fortunate because our mission is so important, even more relevant today than in the entire time, you know, we've been in, in existence, I personally feel. Yes. And so uh, from the standpoint of educating young people and of course, adults, that mission is so important because we feel that we can change the world here. You know, when we see over a hundred thousand students coming through our museum and they have no knowledge of the Holocaust, that's a game changer. I really feel that once they go through our museum, their whole perspective changes. And that um, that is a very, very important component. And then also fighting anti-Semitism, which has become so prevalent and yes. fighting any type of hatred or prejudicial behavior is just key to a civilized society. And so we feel that in our public value 
statement for the museum is that we are here to develop a civilized society. And, you know, by educating others on how to behave and how to value everyone, value all humanity. So pretty powerful mission. And very much so. No problem getting up every day and coming to work. It's terrific. That's great. And, you know, you, you, like you said, you've been here, you know, you've been with the organization now for a decade. So, and, you know, to steward, and, and I, I know that to steward, you know, basically creating a building that's two and a half times the size of your current one <laughs> is something that takes, you know, a really good amount of time to do. And I just, I love that the organization in the last quarter century or so has just been able to grow and expand mm-hmm. and increase its footprint on the community and have, you know, a hundred thousand children. Is that um, all time or is that annually that come through the museum? museum that's, what, that's our goal for this new facility, especially now that we've gotten out of COVID right? Uh, and the schools are returning. Yes. That's why we built this facility with the goal of, you know, 100 to 120,000 students coming in. And then what's unique about our museum as well is that we go into the classrooms This year we'll reach 35,000 students. So I have a team of eight educators at the museum and we go out and teach those units, educational units about the Holocaust and genocide and about anti-bullying. And we do that all throughout a 100 mile radius of our museum. Wow. So it goes far beyond Houston and goes into, you know, some of the suburbs and exurbs and gosh, I live in Austin. So, I mean, you're even like getting into like the Eastern edge, Eastern yes. parts of the Austin area. But, in terms of your we, we do have a school from Austin that comes here. We do educate law enforcement uh, from Austin and San Antonio, uh, as well as Houston. But um, it is a total of 48 ISDs that we serve within the greater Houston area. Wow. That's, that's an incredible amount of impact that you're, you know, you're creating in, in, in just helping shape the minds and make children aware of, you know, aware of the world and, you know, how to be a good human being. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, and one of the reasons you're here to talk today is about your upcoming annual, one of your annual signature fundraising galas, which is the LBJ Moral Courage Award Dinner. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that is, uh, this is our 27th year uh, for this. And uh, someone had the idea at the museum to honor LBJ because in his history, He did a lot to uh, rescue Jews immediately, um, not only um, during the war to bring refugees to Texas, but after the war as well. He has always been a great supporter to the Jewish community. And not very many people knew that he did that. In fact, it it did not come out within like at least the last 10 to 15 years. And so as a result, Uh, We thought it would be wonderful to uh, create this award in his name, honoring him. And so the uh, initial trustees wrote a letter to Lady Bird Johnson, and she gave us the permission to utilize his name and to honor him in this capacity. And it is truly an award associated with moral courage. So it can be an institution or it can be an individual that has demonstrated and executed moral courage. And so we've had some pretty amazing recipients 
have a list here just to give you a sense of it. Um, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, George W. Bush, 43rd President of the United States, uh, Dr. obviously Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We had um, Ellie Wiesel was honored, Mia Farrow, activist and actress, uh, U.S. Senator John McCain, Colin Powell was a recipient, Steven Spielberg. So you kind of get the sense of the quality of the of the awardees that um, we honor. So that's that's the anchor associated with the event itself. That's incredible. I mean, and to get, I mean, that's a lot of star power of names. Um, you know, and, and what I love is is that it really it goes across the whole political spectrum in terms of mm -hmm. the names that you gave. And that really kind of shows how it really truly is a human rights issue that, mm -hmm. you know, nearly all people can really relate to and really understand. And I think it's really great that you are able to honor so many types of people. And it was a broad, it was a pretty broad and diverse range of folks as well. And it's just really good to see that. Well, thank you. So and now speaking of those honorees, you know, tell us how you all go about selecting an honoree or multiple honorees each year. Well, we usually start a year in advance and we have a committee of trustees. Uh, typically, they're senior trustees that have experience in this. And because it's it's difficult, you know, when you're working with individuals at this caliber, you ha typically have to have a connection. Yes. So we first uh, receive nominations and then the committee reviews those nominees and then we select one or two and then using the contacts and the connections we have, we, we make a formal request. So, you know, and I think it's really good for people listening to understand that, that a lot of it has to do with connections and mm -hmm. and with the committee that you put together that, you know, that there's, I always like to say a successful event is like an octopus in that you've got multiple tentacles that have to go and reach all kinds of different, you know, different aspects of the community or of the types of people that you're wanting to do. And, you know, putting together a committee that can, you know, reach different types of people. And especially with the broad, diverse range of folks that you, you've been able to honor over the years, I think that's a really excellent thing for people listening to know and understand. And that that's such a great point, because it's, I personally think it's the most challenging aspect. You know, um, just to give you an idea, we have tried to uh, honor Oprah five times. <laughs> <laughs> and we have never had any success reaching her. And uh, so, you know, it does happen. There are just people that you don't have the appropriate connections. But uh, sometimes you get lucky too. So um, I think uh, having the right committee is, is very, very important. So I love that lesson because, you know, people are like, well, it, you know, you can get around a wide range of people, but that it goes and shows the importance of a committee and why they're important because you all have been able to reach two, basically two former presidents and get them. So it's, I, I think what it really shows is, you know, the connectivity is key. And just because someone says, no, doesn't mean, or you're not able to get to them, doesn't mean that you give up. You know, you keep you keep looking with that, you know, for the various things that people do and people contribute. And I know quite a few other organizations where that's the same thing. So I think it's awesome that you, you know, there's a persistence there and one day you'll be successful. I have no yeah. doubt, 
But I, I think it's just, it, it goes to show that just because you have access to high profile people doesn't mean you have access to everybody. And I think for anyone looking to, you know, start and, you know, a, you know, a gala where they're honoring somebody, that's really a good place to know and start. And, you know, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, reach for the stars. You, I mean, all they can say is no. So yeah. think big. Think big. <laughs> it's the worst that they could do. Absolutely. So, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, tell us a little bit about this year's LBJ Moral Courage Award honorees. Well, this one kind of fell in our lap. Um, and first of all, our 2023 honorees are Dr. Peter Hotez and Dr. Maria Elena Botazzi. And if you haven't, you know, if you're not familiar with them, you'd have to be living under a rock because they're the acclaimed scientists that did the primary research for the COVID vaccine. Um, and so they are based here in Houston, but there is a story associated with Dr. Hotez. Dr. Hotez had reached out to our museum a year before this and had said, hey, I would really like to come and be on a program. And we were just oh. thrilled, right? I mean, <laughs> of course. Like we're going after people to have them come and speak at the museum for programs. And it turns out that Dr. Hotez was a second generation uh, survivor. So in other words, he has a, um, in his case, his parents were Holocaust survivors. So obviously our mission was very, very important to him. So he gave an absolutely outstanding talk. And that is when we learned about all of his history associated with impact of anti-Semites, and also uh, anti-vaxxers that were pretty much, you know, hounding him through his whole research process, even after the vaccine was developed. And also from this perspective of their, both of their incredible work, um, they actually produced for free, they did not patent their vaccine and made it available to over a hundred million individuals throughout the East, Eastern Asian region. So he, as a result, those two had been nominated. They did not win the, the nomination in 22, but they were nominated, both of them, for a Nobel Prize. So we thought that this would be in a very, very appropriate way to honor uh, both of their work from the standpoint of saving humanity, but also he will bring a different perspective I think, which is very, very important about how he made that happen and then the challenges that he overcame to accomplish that. It's a pretty, pretty exciting um, opportunity to hear from him. I'm excited about it. That's really a fascinating story. And I did not know either that Dr. Hotez was a second generation Holocaust survivor. So, you know, I I, I had the good fortune of meeting him in passing once at the gala, an incredibly nice man. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it it's wonderful and just shows his generosity, you know, both of their generosities as well, of not patenting the vaccine and really helping humanity with that. And I think that's just and such an important, wonderful something, story. Something close to our hearts here too in Houston is, well, this cost, this research costs money, right? And Absolutely. so another thing I did not know is he raised all the money himself from foundations in Houston and medical research foundations in, that were tied to the Med Center. So uh, he raised over $8 million on his own to pay for his research. 
So wow. I, I was like, just an amazing story what he did to accomplish the vaccine. That's just such determination and someone who really, I mean, he, I really from day one, I mean, and he was probably even starting to the outreach for that before we all locked down. That's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a testament to his grit and his determination to make this happen and for it to happen as quickly as it did. It's just really a testament to people like Dr. Hotez that just did that. I mean, that's just an incredible story. It really is. So we're really quite honored that they agreed for us. Both of them. Absolutely. Very modest. And uh, so is Dr. Patazi. And so we're, we're just so delighted that they accepted our invitation. Fantastic. Now, tell us, you know, in addition to the honorees, tell us what else guests can expect to experience this at this year's LBJ Moral Courage Award Dinner. Well, we have uh, our, our, as they say, format is that we do have incredible entertainment following the award ceremony, and that is Vanessa Williams will be performing. So we're excited. I I am so excited to have her performing. Uh, live and to see her live. I've never had that opportunity before. And so uh, she is just an incredible performer and fun. And I think it's going to be, you know, make for a very, very exciting evening. It will be. And she, you know, she, she lights up every room that she's in. So she's, yes. and she's one of my favorite actresses and one of my favorite musicians. So, I mean, that, that's really just a wonderful, you know, a wonderful coup for you all to, all, all to have her as the entertainment, entertainment for the evening. So, you know, one thing about your organization, and this is something I have in all my years covering galas, I have just never heard. And that was something that happened last year with last year's performer. And that yes. was when Broadway legend, Kristen Chenoweth performed and she was so moved by the evening that she actually donated the performance fee back to the organization. How do you think, you know, tell us a little bit about how that happened, but most, most specifically, how do you think the program that you put together led to her doing that? Well, first of all, she's a, she's a remarkable individual and, and very giving and has, a, I think, a very clear sense of empathy, right? And how she works with people, how she approaches people. So she's a unique individual in herself. But um, I think from the standpoint of her learning about our mission throughout the evening, that it was it was very moving from the standpoint of what the message was. And she just, she identified with it. So it wasn't until her second to last song that she actually came out and said, you know, I'm going to donate it. And and they the entire audience stood up and gave her a standing ovation after she said that. And I think not only was it impactful from us, we were thrilled, obviously, to see her right. be so moved and to donate the fee, of course. But it was amazing to see how it made everyone else feel in the audience, too, that they had been able to be part of this, but that it kind of like collectively put everyone together. Like we are here. We really join with you in in believing in this donation because we're working together. And so that was uh, a really wonderful aspect of her doing it on stage. Just was amazing. I mean, that, that truly was one, like when I heard that, I, it was just really one of the, truly one of those it's, 
you know, when you cover galas and events like that, those are just the magical moments that make those evenings moment. just so special. Very, very special. You know, it's just, it, it's incredible. And I just, I'm so, you know, I, I'm so glad that that all happened and that it really, you know, when things like that happen, it just buoys up the whole room. And it, you know, that is something no one who attended that event will ever forget that. Yeah. And they, and that's what they do when they come and talk to me. Oh, wasn't that incredible that she donated the fee? That's, that's what they talked about a year from now. You know, it's just amazing a year uh later. Absolutely. And, you know, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, you said the second to last song. So she clearly sang, you know, a whole series of songs, because a lot of times when music performers go to a gala, they may sing one or two songs. So with your, you know, with HMH, I mean, you're really getting multiple songs from, yes. from a person as opposed to just one or two. And it's really, truly a musical a performance on top right. of it. So it's a concert that's really built in. And I think it's important to note that, that it's more than just a musical appearance. It really is yes. a performance. Yes, it was a full performance. I believe she sang um, 10 songs. Oh my gosh, that's and, and, amazing. And, were, and, and also she, again, from a standpoint of her sense of and perception and empathy, she curated all those songs so it fit our audience. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful evening. People really enjoyed it. Besides, she's she's so talented. Absolutely. So, um, I, we, we just seem to be fortunate. We'll get people that really engage with the mission. And then it carries through the entire evening. And, and if anything, you know, we're, you're talking to a lot of people that do this all the time. Boy, having that performer engage is such an important component is what I've learned. It is. And it really allows for other donations from people in the audience to increase. And it really, if they were emotionally tied to it before, they're really going to be emotionally tied after an experience like that. Like for example, the award recipients, we always make sure that they've seen the museum before the actual event. Mm -hmm. So it's, we, we make a special effort to educate them as much as we can about a sense of our mission. That's that's really good to know. And it, it's an important thing for people to know as part of the experience. And that actually is a good segue to the next question. And that is, what's a piece of advice you would give to an organization that's looking to engage a high profile person for their gala or signature fundraiser? Well, I think that that's exactly what we're talking about is that I I wouldn't want to honor an individual unless it really fit with our mission and that they really believed what we were doing and they were behind it and just as passionate about it as we are. And so, uh, I mean, it makes sense that you would pick someone that fits, but sometimes, you know, in other institutions, you might just pick somebody because you know they're popular, but they don't really care about your mission. So, so having that tie and having it, everything interwoven for the whole evening from beginning to end, because ours is the award recipient. We know he's passionate, right? And she is passionate. And then having the performer tie that passion in their performance as well, just kind of completes the whole evening. Really Absolutely. And Vanessa Williams is very well known as a human rights advocate as well. Hi. So I like Just like when I saw that, when I saw that she was a performer, in, in addition to her being one of my favorite performers, I was like, well, of course she is, because she's, you know, she's devoted really a lot of her adult life and a lot of her philanthropic efforts towards human rights. So it, it made when I saw that it made total sense. 
So, so like you're saying, you know, from the standpoint of other people planning galas and, and the work, that element of success is, and I could see what it would be tempting sometimes to just get a big name and you know they're going to be popular, but it'll, it'll be hollow. I really think that, that taking the time to get someone that connects with you and you could see that connection, just like what you just mentioned, it just makes it for a better evening. I think that is the absolute perfect way to, you know, to conclude the podcast here. I mean, that, that really, that's really what it's all about. So, um, you know, Kelly, thank you so much for being a part, part of this episode today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the work you do to help nonprofits raise more money and be effective. I mean, I really appreciate that. And the Spotlight on Courage, the 2023 LBJ Moral Courage Award Dinner, honoring Dr. Peter Hotez and Dr. Maria Elena Batazzi with Mm -hmm. a special appearance by Vanessa Williams is on May 11th, 2023 at the Hilton Americas Houston in Houston, Texas. For more information, visit hmh.org. And Kelly, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. And please come and visit our museum. Looking forward to seeing you. Absolutely. I would love that. And this is... And this is Rob Giardinelli signing off on Fun and Fundraising, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.